0: but man that never happens like when's the last time something went down 20 plus percent in four and a half months and it's something that
1: major it just Um, seems i would say i'd say my portfolio in 2022 this podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends skippy and doodles that like to debate about investing content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing.
0: You will never guess, my friend. I'll never guess your friend?
1: (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) That's pretty good. You will never guess. You will never guess. You are never going to guess where I was hanging out. Uh, never gonna guess it. Never gonna guess it. I mean, never gonna guess it. Never gonna guess it.
0: New York City, first of all, and then to be more specific, uh, where did I have a little
1: layover on the way back from New York City? Wait, you can't get a direct flight. What are you? Times so are So I had really a, I had had a little layover. Times, huh? I had a little layover, and a friend of mine told me to get out there. Do you know where it was? They were oh, like, no. "Stop hanging out in pity city." <laughs>
0: I went to Pity City this week, too.
1: <laughs> oh, Pity City's not a good place to be. Pity City's not a good place to be, I tell you that. Y- yeah,
0: you you could have a layover, but you can't hang out in Pity City. That's how it goes, right? <laughs> was that the Eagles?
1: Was that the Eagles right there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I stopped over. I was like, you know what, I'm going to hang out here for a little bit. And then, lucky for me, my good friend Andy Owen called me up and said, you got to get out of Pity City. Are you catching on? Right, Andy oh, Owen. Got it. Again, Andy Owen is the CEO, not a friend of mine. Okay. Let's let's uh, yes, I found a direct flight back from New York. I had a direct flight back from New York. This is all just, as they say in the parlance of our times, a ruse here. Andy Owen is the CEO of a company called Miller Knoll. Miller Knoll, you probably actually know their products made under the brand name of Herman Miller. They got chairs. That will make your back feel straight. Oh, uh, quality chairs. <laughs> Was that really what I came up with? Like, is, isn't your back just straight? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. why. They got good chairs. Real good chairs. But if you haven't checked out this, this video, you should check it out. Because, I mean, we've covered a few times over the past couple of years, CEOs are coming out and showing their true colors. Um, or or some kind, maybe not their true colors, but they're showing colors that they shouldn't be showing Most of that happened when they're crying on LinkedIn. Most of that happened when they're talking about how they feel so bad, you know, laying people off over Zoom. Some of that now via Andy Owen is coming out telling people to leave Pity City. She claims that Pity City is the place where you hang out when your CEO gets a $6 million bonus and you don't get a bonus. That is Pity City. Well, let's just get the facts right here. (laughs) She only got a $4 million bonus,
0: Dougal's that you know of <laughs> total comp was around 6 million you know one of my favorite things about this eavesdropping on a CEO's um, call with their employees is a lot of them are still at home and you get to see like into the what I assume is Andy's house which is hilarious there's a lot of pressure if you lead Herman Miller basically to have your office decor truly be on point and I only give her office decor like a B plus, Dugles. It's not, that great. Pretty yeah, good, it's not chairs, that great. She got chairs. She got chairs. that will make her back feel straight. But <laughs> to the heart of the matter here, because I'm not sure if this is anything or not. I think it's amazing how frequently people stick their foot in their mouth. But that happens because everything's recorded and everything's yeah, exactly. documented these days. I don't know about her true character. True. How far up should we be about this? She said something that I think is regrettable and pretty stupid. She makes, gosh, many multiples what the average employee in her organization makes and took home a $4 million bonus when they're taking home zero. I understand why they're
1: upset, but how upset should we be? I don't think we should be upset necessarily. What I actually think was most interesting about this is how it progressed. Because if you watch this clip, it's about a minute and a half, right? You watch this clip and the first 45 seconds of it seems like scripted i'll say right like she's she's following yeah like the talking points and then all of a sudden it's it just seems like someone came to her and said just drop the like drop the lyrics and she all of a sudden just starts going off the rails for like no apparent reason it seems like that, no, that's what's like strange I, about
0: it no what's happening i'm pretty sure you can uh, follow her eyes she's looking at comments coming in in the chat box also she gets fired up by the chat box yeah she so there are a couple i think like two or three more than one that had a tone that didn't set well with her and that's where she started talking about pity city and i mean think about okay. it we, we okay. talked about commercial real estate being depressed when commercial real estate is depressed selling office furniture to commercial real estate is a really tough business i i understand her perspective i think it's just delivered incredibly poorly and it's completely
1: disconnected from the reality it's, of it's what true because there's a, face the the message that she's sending i actually think is an interesting one like what, what she's trying to say so you can watch the video yourself but what she's trying to say is let's not think about bonuses let's think about what the targets for our company are and like nail the targets like let, let's rally as a as a company and hit our targets that's what she's trying to say and now the way, but to your point the way she drops that talk about pity city is i don't know, I don't know tone deaf like it it's just like it, it's not quite a and I, she apologizes she goes i'm sorry that my rallying cry <laughs> like it it doesn't even come off as if it's supposed to be a rallying cry but i know that's what she's
0: trying to do last thing her rant is kind of funny cuz her rant like lives in pity city <laughs> She's like, she goes to the depths of like, woe is me as the CEO of this company. I, that's what you get paid for. I mean, when times are tough, that's when your job really sucks. And, and I true. guarantee her job really sucks right now. So that's she, true. but I guess true to her word, she just took a, a quick stop, page City.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. She had like a 15 minute layover. It's all good. It's all good. All right, before we hop into the real episode, please go rate and review the podcast. And we always love that listener mail. So skippydougals at gmail.com. Hit us up with your questions, with your comments, with your statements. Thank you for all those that do uh, send in the listener mail. We do appreciate that. And I want to start off in my fishable with somebody that surprised me with their financial know-how. We discussed how people were getting into trouble, right? People are getting dragged into lawsuits. We got Cardushians. We got... Maybe Matt Damon. We got all sorts of people that got mixed up in the crypto. Shaquille O'Neal mixed up in the crypto. And when FTX went down, they were all people that were like, that were touting it, you know, talking about it, all mixed up in it. So they're getting sued. But there was one person, my girl, who said, oh, no, you don't do me none, son. And this is T-Swift. Taylor Swift was asked if she would endorse FTX. And Taylor Swift, this is the only way I can imagine this happen. Taylor Swift was wearing her glasses and she dipped them down. You know what I'm talking about? You know, like when you got glasses on and you just go, like you just kind of like put them down on the end of your nose. So, yeah. so people, so people know that you're about to condescend the crap out of them. And she said, and I quote, is these coins regulated? just a, a
0: quick recap when you quote someone you actually have to say what they say what they uh, say oh,
1: oh i usually when yeah. i say and i quote i usually go to something they definitively did not say
0: yeah uh, the actual quote is can you tell me that these are not unregistered securities oh, that's okay. the actual not... quote it matters <laughs> it actually <laughs> matters in this case all right is so... these regulated coins we're going to Swiftyland. I didn't think the podcast was ever going to Swiftyland, but it's clear <laughs> that my knowledge of Tay Tay is vastly superior to your knowledge of Tay Tay. You you don't know much about Taylor Swift's upbringing, do you? Oh, I do not. Spit Her on Her dad, it. Scott Kingsley Swift, is a former stockbroker for Merrill Lynch. <laughs> Her mom is a former uh, mutual fund marketing executive. Of course, Tay Tay knows this. Like this is. Uh, this is why some of her music deals are off the charts good and why she generates more let's call it profits per mm-hmm. like album, per concert, per she's on top of the world Scott, because she has a really good advice in her
1: corner. Scott Kingsley Swift. First of all, is an awesome name. Second of all, is that like the name of the sparrow from some Disney movie in the 1980s? Like it just I feel like Scott Absolutely. Kingsley Swift. It's a little oh, bird oh. flying around somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, lo- I love it. Okay, I didn't realize all this. Yeah, and I mean, you even dropped the Tay Tay knowledge. So I was talking about my girl, but obviously, you know a lot about <laughs> Tay Tay. I was, I was impressed by this. Like, I think you know, I mean, to to kind of the maybe the broader point, I didn't know the details you just dropped, but it, it seems like consistently, I'm finding that Taylor Swift just handles issues particularly well. It's got a brain uh, or, or like uh, a, a system. System going on around, yeah. I mean,
0: she has a very particular upbringing. Uh, I would say, um, but the the thing that's very interesting about this is they were talking about a hundred million dollars. So yeah. that tells you something else too. These celebrities that maybe maybe they even knew to ask the questions, but they got blinded by the money. It tells you that a hundred million dollars for her is like, uh, that's kind of nice, but. <laughs> I'm still going to do my due diligence. I think all the other celebrities you named were like, oh, 10 million bucks, a million bucks. Like, I mean, do I don't care.
1: Yeah. I mean, Matt Damon was saying he did it for the water. So, like, he just, he, like, he saw the check. He did it for the water. I saw one account that they offered Taylor Swift $100 billion. And I was like, I was like, hold on. So I had two thoughts, actually. In, in one, Dogecoin,
0: $100 billion. Yeah, Dogecoins,
1: there you go. I think my, my first thought was like, OK, this is a typo, an obvious typo. My second thought was, it seems kind of like something that FTX would do, you know, so like it just offer $100 billion. The organization that has all of its, maybe not all, like you're you're, you're already calling me out. So let me go back. That had some, if not many uh, of its like expenses and whatnot that were approved by Emoji seems like. The organization that might offer someone a hundred billion dollars for an endorsement, (laughs) like so, who knows? Who knows?
0: I think how Taylor officially declined the offer was with a sad face emoji. I think that's the only way FTX accepted guidance. I think so. That was how. Sorry, we didn't talk about it, but that was back in the news three weeks ago, where they were like spending millions of dollars with a little winky emoji. That was a formal. It's ridiculous, ridiculous. What else you got? All right, there's two things. They don't sound related, but there's Tesla and there's the economy. So I don't get angry much, Jiggles, but I can tell you if someone, if I bought a car for $66,000 as of January 1st of this year and the current going price is now $42,000 for the same exact car, I'd be pretty upset. That's exactly what's happened to the Tesla Model Y long range.
1: Yeah, but you're you're sounding like the uh, student loan people. There was a, in December, there was a price for a car, and you saw that price as fair for what you were willing to pay, and you paid it. Well, first of
0: all, I didn't buy the thing, but (laughs) I actually love that you brought this up because I was not ready for an argumentative take here. Yes, it's true. On. You brought something up and we're not ready
1: for an argumentative take. Come on.
0: Go on. sure true that if I would have bought the car on January 1st of this year, I would have felt oh. like for $66,000, I was getting the, the utility that made sense to use the mm-hmm. economics term, right? Yep. yep. But man, that never happens. Like when's the last time something went down 20 plus percent in four and a half months and
1: it's something that major? It just um, seems I would say, I'd say my portfolio in 2022. Well, I don't buy your portfolio, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, more I, I hear you. no, it's aggressive. Tesla's having like aggressive cuts and it's hitting their stock price too. Yeah, as it should. More importantly, and maybe more
0: interesting, this thing caught my week from the confidence board. It's uh, the US leading indicators index and it has a really solid track record. Everyone on live to the pod knows I hate projects predictions but i think the thing that caught me about this is i take 10 different metrics throw them all together in their secret sauce and get like a leading indicator index some of those components are like building permits for private housing um average weekly hours worked in manufacturing uh new orders for different aircraft or manufacturers orders of consumer goods and materials tie that in with a leading credit index, like just a a really thoughtful way, I think, to come up with a leading indicators index. So you put that all together and um, according to their metrics, like it's slam dunk recession is on its way, unavoidable, everything else. We talked a couple of weeks back about the Fed also using the recession language. I don't know that I care if there's a recession or not. Like it's not going to change my investing. It's probably not going to change my daily life. But it is fascinating
1: to ponder, right? Yeah, I think what I, I didn't think this was as fascinating as you did, but what I did think was interesting, I'm not going to go fascinating on the scale of hoggy, hoggy dog wash to most fascinating thing ever. I found it in the interesting camp. And what I think is interesting is they did take, they kind of said, how does the economy work? Like, and what are the things, by that I mean, what are the things that people uh, do or don't do depending on. I'm making this up a little bit, but like from what I saw, do or don't do based on um, where their financial situation is. And they, I mean, like businesses, when I say, I'm not just talking about consumers, I mean, like businesses, et cetera. Uh, And so therefore, what are the things that you're likely to stop doing um, if your financial situation worsens? And it seems like uh, it's like a really interesting take um, on putting a few things together. I thought it was pretty cool. I like that. I also, I continue to think about this time that we're in right now. And how weird it is when you compare it to, for example, right, like if you look at the charts they have, uh, where we are right now is like approaching but not fully there uh, to the time period that they had back in like the 2001, 2002 era and then like the 2008-ish era, right? Yeah. And like it, as much as we talk about how things could be on the brink of something, credit not doing well and how you know people might have more bankruptcies or stock market might crash all that kind of stuff like it just doesn't fully feel it right now but when you look at this graph like we see these graphs like this one where we go like this doesn't feel like 2001 2002 it doesn't feel like the great financial crisis but we look at these things and it seems like we maybe should be do you see what i mean no absolutely but here's here's the fascinating like
0: why i think it's fascinating more than interesting is to me, this all makes sense. I think it's a sound analysis and I think a recession is coming. But what you're articulating, which is much more important than if a, a technical recession by an antiquated definition actually shows up or not, is like, what does that recession look like? Does does that mean that you have three months of challenges and everything reverses and it's great? Or does that mean you're in the depths of economic contraction for the next two and a half, decade. three years, like that, we don't know at all. And that's the really relevant yes. thing. That's why I'm saying this, I'm not taking any action on this, but if you look, I'm looking at their six month t- trailing trend, twa- trend, excuse me, for these 10 indicators, eight of them are down and two of them are just barely above zero. Like we've gone to a point where a lot of things seem to be headed in a negative direction Rather than it's this mixed bag of we don't know what it's crazy times it's post COVID world, uh the stock market is disconnected from, uh the unemployment rate like I just feel like there's now momentum where a lot of things
1: are lining up in a negative direction. Yeah, I think that's right. It's, it's kind of like, um if you ignore everything Kathy Wood says because Kathy Woods like we're at the start of a fifty year bull market or something, if you ignore all that. It seems like definitively, I'm using a strong word, which you can't use ever, but I'm going to say it. definitively things aren't good. What we don't know is, are they bad and how bad? But it seems like we like no, nothing points to, let me say that instead of definitively, nothing points to things are good. Yes, yeah, so I like if we take definitively out of it. Well,
0: even that, Dougals, the unemployment rate is still pretty impressive
1: three and a half percent right the unemployment rate is low now what i still didn't dig into but we talked about last week is labor participation rates are also lower which For changes good reason, equation. because of the aging population so don't yeah.
0: like don't try and bait switch me on that Douglas.
1: i know I, I tried you didn't even you didn't even bite a little it wasn't even a little nibble okay point, what point being i'll Can tie one you?
0: more thing into this a lot of things are headed uh down And the final thing that I have to mention here, because I've been yelling about it, is that the National Association of Realtors came out with uh, the median existing home price. And that's also way down the biggest one month decline in an extended period of time. I don't have that number in front of me, but I told you housing was too expensive. Housing is headed to (laughs) and price corrections are happening like
1: yeah except i saw i saw this recent study um it, i don't know how statistically significant the study was cuz it had one survey uh recipient and that survey recipient was me but this study showed that if you walk up my block you're going to find a home that is a four bedroom house listed for 2.2 2 million dollars i don't know what economy this lister was in but it's not the one I'm living in. I saw this and it was so surprising to me. Maybe it shouldn't have been, right? It was so surprising to me. I just went, what? Like, seriously, what world? Like, are are we living in here? $2.2 million for a four bedroom, four bath casita? I, I just don't even get it. And so you're telling me how home prices are gone down. This may have been, so this is a house that I don't remember exactly when, but I, but they started working on like a while ago. Like, I think it may have been like a couple of years ago. And I feel like this is a circumstance where they're basically saying, like, we, we've already anchored ourselves in a price for wherever the market was back then. And because we've been working on this for so long, like we're taking into account our own like costs and time value and whatnot. But there's, if this house doesn't sell for something close to a million dollars less than what they listed I'm be surprised. Well, I hate to break it to you,
0: Deagles, but no one cares about this house except for you. But what's interesting about this?
1: Then why was there? A, why was there a full study
0: that was brought? That what's taken interesting up about this is is some of the biases that are taking place there. I bet yes. there's some a sunk cost fallacy that's happening because Ooh. they they bought this thing. Uh, let's say they bought this thing 24 months ago. They ran their numbers and said, "Man, if we do high-end finishes and everything else, we're going to be pushing two million bucks." They might not have updated their plan. There's clearly anchoring costs where Ooh, maybe yes. they actually Douglas, maybe they want to sell the thing for one point seven, but they want to list it at two point two so someone can negotiate several hundred k off. All so right. When did we die? <laughs> So,
1: well, look, just just for, for everyone so that you know, what just occurred is my computer died. Dougal's computer died. And so now if you hear like an audio change, I'm now on my AirPods <laughs> um, because technical difficulties. Um, but you, you were talking about uh, all the sunk cost fallacies and all that stuff going on, which I I agree with. Like, I think there's something like that going on. It is fascinating.
0: This is the schizophrenic economy that we've talked about a while back that I now feel like the trends are changing to mostly negative but there's still some people out there that think same as it ever was kind of uh that interest rates are three percent and that yes. there's um there's people looking to spend two plus million on gosh kind of a how can you even describe it Douglas? i mean this is not a mansion this is not a place with 10 acres or a pool or anything like that yeah. it's a uh, um,
1: and you kind of have to be, if you think about who's going to buy the house, right? In any, any certain, like uh, any transaction, you're thinking about who's your target market. And this is a circumstance where when you think about who's going to buy the house, a $2.2 million house, when mortgage rates are where they are, you have to assume that you're basically saying someone's buying it for cash because it's like uh, anything else is silly. You're going to take I, that know with... I think that's a little strong. No. It, um, You don't think so? You Think someone's taking out like I don't know where mortgage rates are right now, six-seven percent for a couple million dollars on this house. Absolutely. On Absolutely. this casita, because back, we're Americans, basis.
0: like there's so few people. <laughs> that, is, that is true. That is we, true. We live on debt. I mean, the government lives on debt. There's still there's so few people that would do it for cash. There were uh it was really popular to do it for cash if you were buying that a place to turn around and rent, right? But yeah. Uh a home like you're talking about, uh I'd say that's highly unlikely that they want to rent the thing out cuz those rental rates are insane.
1: Yeah, that's probably right. That's probably right. Okay. Well, we we can adjust. We can adjust to a different to a, another topic here. Can I reach on the fishbowl for something here? Yeah. Uh, you're going to tell me some kind of nonsense about this, but that's okay. And that's why I, that's why I bring things up to you. So, I saw this post that I thought was kind of interesting recently and it was about chat gpt but there's a, there's a broader implication for it so there's a software developer who said that he had he tweeted out first and said that he he'd been like basically saying i'm not going to play around with this chat gpt thing i ain't interested but then decided to do it he decided to play around with it and his takeaway from playing around with it was that 90% of his skills are now worth 0 dollars in software development. And the remaining 10% are now worth, I think you said 100X what they were before. And I think this, this isn't just limited, the broader implications I was talking about was this isn't just limited to this individual, right? I think what's interesting about this is that like that is the macro point around most technologies in general, not even just talking about ChatGPT. Like when you have technologies that, um, that are groundbreaking, and that might be aggressive to use here, we don't know yet, but that's kind of the way it works. I wanna look at something, so he, he tweeted this out and then he wrote a blog post about it, which is what I was referring to a second ago. Uh, and one of the things, he said a couple of interesting things in there. One is that techn- technological revolutions are preceded by one, radically reducing the cost of something that used to be expensive. And two, discovering what is valuable about what has suddenly become cheap I really like that take there. I'm going to say it again. You get a technological revolution and you have something, it's radically reducing the cost of something that used to be expensive. And two, discovering what is valuable about what has suddenly become cheap. I'm gonna pause
0: on it. See what you think. Can you give me a real live example? In this case, what's valuable about the power of chat GPT being so cheap?
1: Well, so, well, let's, let's go through both of them, right? So the first, radically reducing the cost of something used to be expensive. And so here you can take, there's a lot of, uh, let's just say in his example, he's talking about software development and he also does consulting. So most of that is gonna be the time of a human being, the time of a human being with certain knowledge. And he is specifically, he said, he, he like broke down in like such simple ways. It's like oversimplified in a way, but I think it makes it easier to understand. His skill set, um, and as a software developer, he's saying that he has one of the things he's become good at is putting certain words together in the right order. <laughs> like I, I read that, and I just went, "That is an interesting way to look at like what you do when you're coding." Is like you know the order of what words to put in so that something else comes out the other side, right? Oversimplified, but I think it's really interesting. And so, radically reducing the cost of something used to be expensive. Is how do I have a human being? that takes their time, that knows how to put these words in the right order. Okay, cool. You radically reduce that because ChatGPT knows yeah. the right order of, of the software development. Let's just say that. Okay, so that's number one. Two, you're asking, discovering what's valuable about what has suddenly become cheap, right? What he's saying there? And this is the other 10% for him. And so that's saying, so now what's cheap is this human's time to put the words in the right order. Yeah. But what's valuable about that is that this human being now understands like um, nuances and implications and what you can do with that software versus just putting the words in the right order, right? And so it forces you, this is my interpretation. This is not necessarily, I I don't wanna put words in his mouth, but what what I'm thinking is you now have to say, what is the true human value add to a thing in this case? And it's not being able to put the words in the right order. It's being able to say, how can you, um, as a consultant, right? How can you as a business now get more value out of your software that's being written? So instead of just writing the software, I'm trying to help you to get, you know, to to uh, improve your operations, improve your processes, whatever it might be, something like that. That's kind of what I, that's my interpretation of it. Does that make sense? It does. I think of it at a, at a higher level.
0: Like, what is uh, the ultimate? Uh, okay. All right. Sorry. No, um, but like, what? why are you writing the code in the first place, right? And then oh. once you determine that if Chat GPT or other tools is a place that it could do lots of things, it could make your code more efficient. It could streamline your code in in a way that reduces energy or um, bandwidth needs. It could allow you to cycle through versions of why you're actually writing the code uh, ten times faster, maybe. Like so, what it kind of depends on what the end game is, and then it's the actual the human skill and expertise that would allow you to add this new technology in a way that truly gets the best outcome.
1: I think that's some hotness right there. Exactly. That's why I I think it's cool. I think it's really cool. Something else here. All right. He also, going back to technological revolutions. He says, technological revolutions aren't about absolute values, but rather growth rates. If I'm big and you're small and you're growing faster, then it's a matter of time before you surpass me. I also think this is an interesting point. And he brings this up because what he's saying is that people uh, will come out with chat GPT and they'll bring up a couple examples and be like, yeah, it's, it's not that good. Like I yeah. put this in there and it's like not that good. And he's saying, yeah, but a revolution isn't about the absolute value. So that's like, it's not about how good it is now, but it's about how quickly can it improve? Mm-hmm. How quickly is it growing? Like that is, that's the point, right? You, there was, a, I don't know if you're familiar, but back in 1775 to 1783, there was a tiny little group of colonies that in absolute value terms weren't that big, but they said, look, Britain, look, Britain, we fit to take you down. Um, and I think that that's, that's kind of what we're looking at here, right? And I think it's kind of fascinating. You can look at the startup world, same thing, right? Anything, uh, it's the whole Clayton Christensen in Innovator's Dilemma, like it's it's this, it's the same thing over and over again whether or not it's going to be chat gpt and whether or not this is the tech, technological revolution he's talking about i think the points are like really interesting and important and that broader point around this is not scientific but when he says 90% of my skills are not zero and 10% are now worth 100x more i just i think that like that is something that people and organizations and even investors should consistently be trying to make happen right you you should be saying what is the what is the expensive thing that I'm doing today? What is the high cost thing that I'm doing today? Whether it's a process um, or, or an item and how do I make that cheap? And then what is it that I'm not seeing in my processes, et cetera, that is more valuable than I'm gaining credit for?
0: Yeah, if, I mic drop. if Well, not quite. It <laughs> comes a rebuttal. <laughs> I like it. It's thought provoking. If I had one quibble, it's with the 90%, 10%. Like there's a whole bunch of um, relationships that he has or that we have or um, emotional intelligence. Like there's all these skills that aren't just pounding at a computer um, for most of us. Now, maybe this guy was such a hardcore programmer that he hardly ever talks to another soul. May, maybe in that case it's 90 10. But for me and you, it might have eliminated some of our skills or significantly reduced the value, but there's way more than 10%. That's still like massive
1: value add. No, yeah. I think I think it's the point, right? It's not, it's this isn't scientific. It's kind of like the the broader point. You have you need numbers that are that drastic to feel it. Um and it also like what it what it gets me thinking about, uh and, and this is some things we talk about at work too, when it comes to, to chat GPT is there are, there are things that you pay people to do right in the organization that aren't necessarily their skill sets. It's just like, this is a thing that has to get done. And so, and this job requires it to get done. But when you unlock like the, the capability for that thing to get done that they're doing by like a machine, let's just call it a by software, then the, the human can come out. It's stuff like as simple as, this is like easy stuff, right? But as simple as uh, writing a job description, Yep. there could be someone that's like, okay, I got to write 12 job descriptions this week for roles that we're posting. And that's how they're spending their time, right? Mm -hmm. Those job descriptions can get to 80% to 90% right with ChatGPT. Yep, completely. Right? No one cares that you found this on the web.
0: In that world- Let me restate, no one cares that you like used a robot to To save 20 hours that week. I mean, you're, you're exactly right, right? The The people posting for the job don't even care. They just
1: want a job at your company. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> half so of them the, aren't even reading the job description thoroughly. Yeah, and so you're right that it's not, that's not like 90% of the skills, but it's it's like 90% of what you get paid for. Maybe it's like a, a different way to, to look at. It's not 90% either. Again, using yeah. the aggressive language has to be used there. But I I just think, I think it's like really interesting. And it's a, it's kind of just an important point in general. I think chat GPT aside for me, I think it's important for people to think about that. Like, what is that 90, 10 split and how do I uh, get better use of my time talking about time? I'm going to pass the fishbowl over to you and let you reach in on how much is someone's time worth here. I'm going to say something to that. I'll be it back to you. You can actually read
0: the tweet. It's okay to think things like this out loud or in your head. Saying them out loud is a whole nother level of I don't have the right word for it because it'd be mean, but then posting them in a public forum as if it's a good lesson for people to learn or something. Is, this is bold.
1: I don't know what this dude was thinking. So what we're talking about is at Rob B. Frazier and this person founder by by their Twitter description, founder, CEO of Outweigh Socks, right? scaling a bit sock business to 100 million plus. Okay, so here's the tweet. My flight to Vancouver was canceled and it cost me $10,000 to take the ferry instead. Hold up, $10,000 for a 90 minute ferry? Mind blown emoji. Well, sort of. The ferry from Victoria to Vancouver costs $160 and three hours, 15 minutes of my time. Boat emoji. To take a seaplane, cost me $220 and one hour, 15 minutes of my time. Propeller plane emoji. So I saved $60 by taking the ferry, right? Nah, I value my time at a minimum of $5,000 per hour. Sounds like a lot, but honestly, it's not. So an extra two hours of travel time actually cost me $10,000. I know some people will read this and think I'm an idiot, but time is everything. You don't get it back how much would you pay for more time at the end of your life? I'd pay so much more than $60 to get those two hours back. I think about this with everything I do. Now, before you respond, hold on, before you respond, I will say this, looking further down in this thread, my favorite thing was, you gotta go a little bit down, but someone responds with, it appears you make socks, please. And then he, he he replies with the best socks, and then just <laughs> puts his uh, puts a link to his company's website in there. But anyway, I, I to your to your like initial like point even before I read it, like when you were um, giving the overview here, yeah. this is one of those things where you're like the maybe people don't go through all these steps that I'm about to lay out before they tweet, but you think a thing, and then you say this thing is worth. Letting other people know about, and then you fire up an application, and then you start writing it, and it's not short. And while you're writing it, you're like, "Yeah, people do really need to know this thing that I'm saying." It's not just like your thought goes to Twitter. Like you make a series of decisions, and one of those decisions is to say that at a minimum, your time is worth five thousand
0: dollars an hour. Rob, we haven't met, but nice to meet you. I'm never buying your stupid <laughs> song. All right, that's my whole take. This reads outrageously <laughs> D- Dougal's to your point. He pays for Twitter blue too. So when he hits send, so he had to spend the, the 10 minutes to write this up. Oh my goodness. Did he do the calculation on how much of how much that cost him for his time? <laughs> then he hit send and ask him to verify the send. It gives him 30 seconds to take it back. Then. Even like the next five, 10 minutes, he could have been like, this is going to come across in a way where I sound like an absolute jerk. And I have, n- there's like no true logic behind the $5,000 per hour figure. Absolutely no logic. Yeah, exactly. So what he tried to do is, is have a thought in his head. I assume that said, my time is valuable props to you, but that that's a, everyone's time is valuable. And I appreciate you thinking that way, but. If your and time's it, that as, valuable, buy your own helicopter, buddy, because,
1: oh, wait, you probably can't. As Tiffany McGuire puts in the in the replies, this feels silly because you could have made a more coherent point if you just stuck to the time and price difference and left out the incredibly arbitrary $5,000 per hour that makes you seem out of touch. It's worth an extra $60 to take a seaplane because you value two hours more than 60. Simple. And he, he replies, yes, this is the lesson in hindsight. Thanks for sharing.
0: <laughs> but delete the tweet already, bud. Like, <laughs> another one is uh, the comments are pretty good. So we're down a rabbit hole here, but who cares? Uh, I like the how much does one sitting on the toilet cost? And he replies, depends on the meal. This dude is all up. He responds to basically every comment. Clearly, he does not value his time at $5,000 an hour because he just wasted like $10,000 yes. on Twitter. Created a firestorm that he didn't have to create, and now literally, if I see these socks anywhere, I'm gonna like put them under a bin so no one can buy them. Just
1: sounds like a jerk, man. Not not only am I not buying your socks, no one will ever buy your socks again. Just (laughs) don't don't be a jerk. Like this actually goes back to
0: um, the CEO of Herman Miller, basically at the start. Like you just don't have to condescendingly go on this crusade
1: to talk
0: about pity city. You can just be kind. That's all it takes.
1: That is, that is very true. Speaking of which, but completely unrelated, I have one more thing in my fishbowl. Go for it. And this is about millennials. There's this article, and this also ties into something we talked about a few weeks ago, which I'll mention. There's this article in the Atlantic and it's called the myth of the broke millennial by Gene M twang. What this article is about is how what you hear in the medias, what you see, like the results that come out of surveys, et cetera, is how the millennials are a broke generation that has been greatly disadvantaged by dot, dot, dot. And you can list out what those things are. And it's calling it a myth because of data. <laughs> like you just need to look at the information. So here are a couple of things. In a morning consult poll last year, of millennials, compared with 35% of all adults, agreed with the statement, because of my money situation, I will never have the things I want in life. 52% of millennials said they were concerned that the money I have or will save won't last. But, and I quote, this is an actual quote, not one of my like non-quotes, this article, millennials as a group are not broke. They are in fact thriving economically. That wasn't true a decade ago and prosperity within the generation today is not evenly shared. But since the mid-2010s, millennials on the whole have made a breathtaking financial comeback. By 2019, households headed by millennials were making considerably more money than those headed by the silent generation, baby boomers, and Generation X at the same age after adjusting for inflation. What this brings back for me is what we talked about. It was a few weeks ago. I can't remember what episode it was. But we were discussing how... America has in many times in the past been like in a precarious situation, but there's the power of what I'll call belief, right? That exists. Like we can do better. We will improve. We're constantly pushing for innovation. And when that goes away, it becomes problematic. Yeah. And, and that's the, one of the, another quote I'll have in this is what, what they say is, what if the American dream is still alive, but no one believes it to be. What I see
0: is um, that this always happens when a cohort of people is in their twenties, everyone complains and says, it's different this time. The, The millennials, Gen Z, Gen X is like not as well off as their parents. And then that takes hold and becomes the narrative for 10 years until that generation reaches like middle age and actually has to do the middle management and vice president. And in some cases, C-level jobs <laughs> that they get paid accordingly. And all of a sudden they become the dominant economic force in that country. And then you write about the next generation and their struggles and how different their life was because of technology, because chat GPT changed the world for generation C. And then they become of an age where they are the vice presidents and middle managers, Yes, it just
1: repeats. Okay. Okay. So agreed with what you're stating. But this is still the narrative that's happening right now while they are the middle managers and VPs and C-level folks. Yeah. Like yeah. while the generation has the funds, they are saying we are broke. And maybe part of the point uh, that this states is that it's not evenly shared, right? And so maybe there's something about, maybe, maybe what you're saying is just right and it's just history repeating itself. Maybe there's a part of this that is that, with the internet and social media and all that stuff, you can see everyone's stories. And so it's it's a lot easier to see the not evenly shared part versus the aggregate. And so the anecdote becomes the narrative. It might be like a part of what's different about this generation than than others, potentially. That's it. But I just I found this to be really interesting, and it's it's also tied to when we discussed like factfulness right in the past of how like the world is getting better. But the narrative around the world is exactly getting worse.
0: To completely agree. And I think maybe the disservice that's happening here is that you try and paint millennials or Gen X with a broad brush. Like, Yes. Yeah. It's just not that simple. But you get, of course, these someone has to run these companies. And when you get to a certain age, that's just uh, what it works. I want to mention one other thing, slightly related, but only because it's in the Atlantic Derek Thompson wrote a piece uh, this week about American mortality rates compared to other wealth countries, wealthy countries. And the average mortality rate in the U.S. is significantly less than like for your uh, European wealthy country. One of the main reasons is mortality at an early age. And so if you have any interest in that, he has some really cool graphs in there and did a podcast on it as well. It's just another Atlantic piece that is worth diving into talks about the challenges that America has with people in their twenties and thirties, dying prematurely. That is almost the entire reason why on average, our life expectancy is five years less than in Europe
1: and in other wealthy countries. Fascinating stuff. Um, A couple other reading recommendations I'll say, Uh, and I'm going to name two that are not written to be opposing but in my interpretation of both of them, they, they kind of are. So one is, one is called The End of the World is Just the Beginning. It's by Peter Zahin. Uh, This is a recommendation from a friend of mine. Thank you for that. The other one is called The Beginning of Infinity by David Deutsch. And if you haven't read David Deutsch's stuff, this dude's got a brain on him. Like you are you going to go through a book that talks about quantum theory and demographics and it's like how to think right in a lot of ways the reason i say and again they're not written to be opposing in fact one came out like nine months ago and one came out a decade ago but Mm -hmm. the the point is that in um in the first book i mentioned the end of the world just the beginning he's talking a lot about demographics like looking at data around the world and saying like we're at a time where we've kind of hit peak in in many countries like we we've hit peak demographics where now mortality is greater than birth rates in a lot of places, in some places, I should say. Um, or at the very least, like our birth rates are so much lower than they used to be, such that like it doesn't look feasible for economies to continue in the the rate that they have. Right. Um so that's like that's one look and looks at different parts of the world it's really interesting. In the other book, he talks about how the power of humanity, the purpose the title of the book um around the uh the beginning of infinity The point of that is the infinity piece is that it's continuing forever the definition of infinity and he's saying that the innovation of humankind and the creativity of humankind has made it like since the enlightenment that you're basically creating societies that learn from each other and start to gain knowledge such that the problems of yesteryear are solved by people Mm -hmm. he has all these examples where you say like you could at multiple times you go back in history and you say this is the thing that is going to take down humanity. You can go back to like Malthus who said like, population's growing too quickly, we can't produce enough food. Then you figure out a way to like produce food, right? And at the time, at certain times, you can't see the next big innovation. Um, You go back a hundred years or so, you can't see that like uranium is gonna change our ability to create power. And so therefore like our energy sources are gonna go away, right? And so it's kind of interesting looking at these two, I'd recommend both of them, you don't have to read them together. Um, but it's interesting looking at like the dichotomy there, because you go, like, this is a r- real issue. Like demographics is a real issue that are, is like facing the world. What are humans going to do about it?
0: I think the demographic piece is really easily solved. We just have Chat GPT
1: breed. <laughs> I never even thought about it. I never even Chat. G- hey, at Chat GPT, <laughs> had me a baby. <laughs> <laughs>
0: did 't even laugh eagles those are great i'd almost like to do book reports i I haven't read either of those but I've heard i those have both been recommended to me a
1: bunch and so they're on my list and uh, maybe we should do a deep dive love it I don't know if we talked about anything investing today but it was an interesting conversation i think even with all my technical technical difficulties i apologize folks for the the scatter uh in the in the middle there having a lot of technical difficulties today I'm concerned. You
0: can't even find a charger for your laptop. I'm concerned about you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Thank you, everybody. Always appreciate you. Remember, as we stated, skippydougals at gmail.com. Hit that up. Questions, comments, whatever you got. We love listener mail Uh, and rate and review the podcast, please. Thank you.